0: Social Anxiety Syndrome, better known as Imposter Syndrome, is a real thing. It comes in many guises and can be relentless at blindsiding people, and you'd be surprised by who it affects. I'm Nick and welcome to Imposter Syndrome. In this series, I'll be speaking to some of the most successful and talented people in the public eye who suffer from this modern phenomenon.
1: When you're talking about imposter syndrome, I think it is something that impacts way more people than we realise.
0: That's my guest for today, Owen O'Kane. Owen is a psychotherapist and author of the best-selling book, 10 to Zen, and 10 times happier. He's one of the UK's leading mental health experts. And if anyone could tell us what causes imposter syndrome, it's Owen. Owen O'Kane, who I've obviously said before, a fantastic psychotherapist and a Sunday Times best-selling author. And the reason why I wanted to have you on this, Owen, is because, you know, this is a subject, as I said to you before, it's all about imposter syndrome. And over the past time, especially during lockdown, I've interviewed some brilliant people and so many people suffer from it. So I really wanted to find out from you, really, what it actually is and how people can sort of help themselves. But first of all, thank you for coming on here. You're welcome. Um, How are you? I'm good,
1: yeah, yeah, relatively sane, I think. It's been busy, I mean, like everyone else, it's all been a bit crazy and chaotic. But yeah, I'm good between promoting the book and seeing clients and doing all the other things I do. I haven't stopped, actually. I mean, it's it's been tricky to get a day off Um, and at the weekend we managed to get away to the Cotswolds for a weekend which was just heaven just to get two or three days away from it all so yeah you know like everybody else a few moments of struggling with the uncertainty and trying to get my head around what's coming next and you know Mm -hmm. how do you adjust and what do you do and a lot of my talks were cancelled so yeah it's been it's been an unusual period but you know I suppose in my line of work you know we talk all the time about managing uncertainty and taking every moment as it comes really so it's a big challenge really in practicing what you preach.
0: Well that's a funny thing because I think you're, you're, you're actually kind of a case in point in so many ways because not in a, not in a bad way or any way is that you know you obviously were a, a clinical psychologist is that right in mental health and then uh- you through what you've done you've you know you've got into the public eye as a leading author, best-selling author, and now you're on television. And that transition, you know, must be quite strange. Have you found it quite hard to, to be part of, or have you quite found it easy?
1: Yeah, it, it's, it's, it's a great question to start with, because, you know, when you're talking about imposter syndrome, I, I agree with you with what you said at the beginning. I think it is something that impacts way more people than we realise. Um, the, the researchers tell us that about 60 to 70 percent of people will describe imposter syndrome type symptoms so that's a that's a massive amount of people who rock up to work every day not sure about who they are what they're doing so this is not some small thing there's a lot of people out there every day struggling with this and you know it's interesting for me because for a long time I was doing what I do so I'm a psychotherapist and I had a medical background before that so I was very used to doing what I you know doing what I'm trained to do every day in familiar environments. And of course, the last couple of years, as you mentioned, I did the books and a lot more public interview type things. And it's fascinating to watch that imposter syndrome jump up, particularly in key moments when you're doing stuff that's more public facing And and kind of watching it, you can almost visualize it playing out, asking Mm. the questions like whether you can manage, are you good enough, What if you feel? What if this doesn't go well? What if people don't like it? It, It's an interesting thing. And funny, I was talking to a friend of mine the other day. When my first book came out, I remember you build it up in your head and you think, God, this is great. I never thought I would publish a book. And the book comes out. And on the day it was released, I thought I was going to feel ecstatic and really excited. And interestingly, I didn't. I felt absolutely Mm. terrified because suddenly when I knew it was out there and it was on the shelves, suddenly then I felt exposed
0: yes and i think that's the funny thing it's about i mean we talk i talk about this a lot that it is about that exposure you feel that you are going to be exposed as a fake i had a meeting yesterday the first one i've had actually since lockdown and i it was a really really big one and i sat there in front of people who are people who i kind of idolize to be honest and yeah. they're looking at me on equal level and i just was i went and thought i was a twelve year old boy in front of my teachers thinking that no one's listening to me and I felt like Mr. Cellophane from Chicago. Wow. It's such a strange feeling, isn't it?
1: It is a strange feeling. But here's the interesting thing, Nick. I would put money on it that if we were to sit down and talk with most of the people in that room with you, at some level they've probably experienced similar or they may yeah. even been feeling some of their own imposter syndrome. Yeah. That and that's the fascinating thing about it is you don't always spot it with people and often people who have strong imposter syndrome are very, very skilled at covering it up. Yes. They become very skilled at covering it up. And I think this is one of the things that you learn, really. You know, it's kind almost like a hidden disorder. hard yeah. to spot it. But you know the maintenance. Um, you know there are there are maintenance cycles for imposter syndrome, and there are a number of things that go on. You know, like when we compare ourselves, or yeah. we have these kind of negatively held beliefs about ourselves, or we self sabotage. These are the things that keep imposter syndrome alive. And I think from why people, do we
0: think that? Why? How does it even mani- manifest itself? Is it just from from when you were a child, or how? What? Where it, does it, it come from? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it's a great
1: question, and I think for for many, it's different things to different people, you know, and it can be background, it can be upbringing. For some people, it's religion about being a good person or living with strong values. It can be, you know, scripts within a family around being perfect and being the best or being compared to other people in the family. I mean, everyone's story is different and everyone's story will impact their imposter syndrome in a different way. But I suppose in my experience, I think there's one central ingredient the imposter syndrome that we don't talk about enough and that's the whole concept of shame mm. because i think most people i've ever worked with or i've met who suffer with imposter syndrome have some degree of shame where they feel at some level that they're not enough that yeah. they're not good enough or that there's something within them that's lacking
0: that and they then can that re- manifests itself so for instance you know i'm listening to you now and i'm thinking to myself, okay my shame may have come from when I was younger and obviously knew I was gay, but couldn't tell anybody yeah. that for a long, long time. And although now I'm like, fine, you know, that's my sexuality, it can manifest itself in confidence and other things that I do in my life. Is that how you think? It I think be? it
1: can, I mean, I mean, sexuality is an important one. I think, you know, with, with most gay men or women who have struggled with sexuality at any level, there's always this fundamental question about being found out. Yes. Um, am I going to be rejected? What are other people going to think of me? So this kind of fundamental shaming that goes on. I mean, it's it's an interesting one for me when I talk about this, because, you know, Irish Catholic and gay, you get a really good triple combination here for shame. I mean, it's a guaranteed recipe for shame. And uh, the whole thing about being Irish Catholic and throw the gay bit on top is, uh, you know, there was this kind of fundamental sense of being wrong or sinful.
0: Yes, you have guilt all the way through. Yeah, that
1: whole guilt thing and being a good person and doing the right thing and stuff. So in, in some ways that can inform my imposter syndrome, this whole thing about being good enough and worthy enough and all of that stuff. So it just depends on the background and the story. But for me personally, I think for most people, they, you know having an understanding of why you might struggle mm-hmm. is important. But I think more importantly is, is being able to recognize your imposter syndrome and see it for what it is. And I think that's the key difference between people who are driven by their imposter syndrome and people who can recognize it for what it is, which is just an unhelpful pattern, and learn, learn to work with it rather than be driven by it. But and when you... that's, that's where you get freedom.
0: Yeah, but, yeah, but okay, that, that in, in, in practice, that sound, oh, in theory, sorry, that sounds good. But when you when it kind of re because it does it does rear its ugly head and I think with imposter syndrome especially you can you can see it coming you know you know it's about to come and Mm. that's what that's such a strange thing and I you know lots of situations I've gone oh here we go here here it comes I have to kind of double down and yeah and kind of play it play a role how do you how do you protect yourself? not protect yourself from how do you how do you navigate that
1: how do you deal with it? Well, yeah. can, Nick, let me ask you a question and hopefully you okay. don't mind answering it. So when you're, when your imposter syndrome kicks in, yes. you know, and you're in a situation where you're feeling that, you know, you know, your imposter syndromes are, yeah. um, how are you speaking to yourself in that moment when your imposter syndrome is around? What's the voice in your head like?
0: I'm te- my head is telling, telling it to go away and telling me to focus as much as possible on what I've got to do and just kind of ignore it.
1: Yeah. What sort of things is it telling you? What sort of things would it be saying to you? It's,
0: it's telling me that I'm not good enough. I shouldn't be there. Why are you speaking? Why are you, why are you, you know, talking? You're not an expert. It's, kind of, it's being very... It's been negative, it's been, and it's, it's trying to damage me. It doesn't because I'm strong, but yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It's, trying to, it's trying to catch me out.
1: Does the tone of that part of you sound quite harsh when it comes out? Does it sound like it's a harsh voice? Yeah,
0: it's a harshness. You know, I, I, I've had it, you know, I've had it for a long, long time. I remember I used to walk to work and it used to take an hour to go to work every morning. And yeah. honestly, during that walk to work, it would be 90% of it would be my imposter syndrome, basically saying to me I wasn't good enough why have yeah. i got my own business why am i on the television and you're, you're you shouldn't be there
1: yeah yeah and and do you then feel irritated and annoyed with that part of you i mean do you kind of respond harshly to it? Are you keen to get rid of it and push
0: it away very keen to get rid of it yeah. and i kind of but it it does and it does get me down like it does yes, of, course, of course it going. does
1: well here here's a different way of thinking about it if, if you saw a young kid who was struggling and it was really upset and you know it was you know clearly looking a bit vulnerable what would your instinct be
0: to go and help them and make sure they're okay and find yeah. out what the problem is and look after them
1: so you wouldn't want to push it away or get rid of it or mm. disown it in some way
0: yeah no
1: you wouldn't well i think it's exactly the same with our imposter syndrome because i think often when you talk about imposter syndrome what you're describing what we're all describing is that part of us that's vulnerable yeah And the part of us it's struggling. And often that then comes out, you know, just in the ways you described, this kind of self-critic, the kind of the blaming, the comparing, all of this stuff that goes on when actually it's a vulnerable part of us. It's a bit needy. And I think we all fall into this. I see it with almost every client I work with. We fall into the trap of trying to fight it, to get rid of it, push it away. When I think if you learn to see your imposter syndrome as just that vulnerable part of yourself, that just needs you to respond to it a bit differently. You know, so for example, that young kid, you'd probably go to it and say, Look, yeah, you're kicking off today, but what's wrong? How can I help? What is it you need? So it's kind of, you know, you've probably heard this expression before, but it's how do we foster that more compassionate voice to ourselves? You know, how yeah. can we respond to that part of us that isn't perfect and broken and struggles? How can we respond to it with a bit more decency and kindness? And I think that's when it begins to change because. Imposter syndrome doesn't know what to do with that.
0: And also I think what you I think the other thing too is that I know it sounds silly, but it's something you don't you, you don't tell your friends you've got it. You don't kind of you don't open up about it. So you have to kind of live with it yourself. And it if you turn around to somebody, oh I've got imposter syndrome, it sounds like you're being a, a bit you know what I mean? It doesn't No,
1: it doesn't it doesn't at all, Nick. And I think what you're describing brilliantly there, is that exactly what shame sounds like? Mm. You know, because shame is the stuff that we hide and push away and we don't yeah. want people to know about. But, you know, that there's a brilliant American, um, I think she was a social worker by background, Brené Brown, I think her name okay, is. Yeah. And she does some great stuff. And she did this research on what makes people happy. And I think after about 12, 14 years of research that she discovered that the people who are happiest are those who are most comfortable with their own vulnerability. Really, um, yeah. th- those people who really are okay with the fact that they're not perfect, that they're broken, because you know that that is a reality for for most of us. None of us. I don't know anybody in my life, personally or professionally, that has it all together. No, no, no. I don't. I mean and that. I would imagine you don't either. No, I don't. And actually, and that's that's how it should be because we are we are a mix of all of these things. And the problem is, like you, you, you know, this Nick, you work in media. We're just told the whole time that we have to be together, we have to be strong, we have to look good, we have to sound good. But actually we don't. You know, I had somebody the other week, I was going to do an interview for something and I was going to talk about, I can't even remember what it was, but I was going to talk about something I was struggling with. And this um, producer person said to me, oh, you don't want to do that. You're the therapist. People want to think you have it all together. And I said, I think that's absolutely, pardon my French, but I think it's bollocks really yeah. because people don't want to think you have to have, that you have it all together. They want to think that, you, that you're a human being and that you understand human struggle. And I think that's the difference. So, you know, I think facing up to imposter syndrome, naming it truthfully, not hiding it away. Yeah. You, these are the conversations that have to happen because I would put money on it that every single person who listens to this podcast without feel will understand exactly what we're talking about
0: yeah definitely I think I would put money in that yeah and I think it you know you know I you know originally one of these you know I think I think people perceive it or I did perceive it as people who are very highly successful have imposter syndrome because they've got to a level where they kind of feel they shouldn't be but actually as you say it, it can happen and does happen to every single person doesn't matter what you do where you're from or anything it's just a thing that it is it, it just happened doesn't it it's just
1: there I mean and if you you know you look at the celeb profiles that talk about imposter syndrome I mean Meryl Streep's spoken yeah. about it hasn't she yeah um, Hanks Jodie Foster I, I noticed even recently Nicola Sturgeon Scottish politician had talked about her own imposter Foster syndrome coming yeah. out so it's fascinating isn't it that this is right across the board
0: mm. yeah, I, I think board. it is very interesting I think but yeah, everybody can. And I know that I know there's a, a really high, and it sounds really silly, but I did some research a demographic of airline pilots mm. that have it. Yeah. yeah. They're yeah. sitting there and they're going, I'm flying an aeroplane full of all these people and they're trusting me. Yeah. And they must sit there, have in a, I mean, hopefully not all the way through, but for a yeah. st- second going, oh my God, this, because it's that responsibility, isn't it, as well?
1: It's that level of responsibility. And I suppose it's a thing as well as, you know, we, we've become a society that's absolutely obsessed about how we're seen by people yeah. and how we're viewed. And, you know, there is this thing about, you know, not only looking well and coming across well, but doing a good job and performing and achieving and all of this stuff. And, you know, so that just creates all of these super high expectations about... How we're meant to deliver ourselves every day. And let's be honest about it, you know, it's not possible. You know, you, you can't rock up every day completely integrated. It's now, not possible. And I think that's one of the things that is really important to work with.
0: And I think actually, you know, you're talking about being real and actually having your faults, like when you were doing that in, in interview, it's interesting to see, I think, that celebrity has changed a lot. The most popular celebrities now are really the ones who actually have shown their vulnerability. I remember, like, you know, in, in, my parents' day, you know, celebrity and superstars, they'd be perceived of as being absolutely perfect with no flaws. Yeah. But now the more flawed you are, the kind of more popular you are, isn't it? I, You know, I think, look,
1: anything that, that you do in life, regardless of whether it's in the public eye or not in the public eye, I think, I mean, this is going to sound really cliché, but I do think you have to show up with authenticity mm-hmm. and, and truthfulness because people... People do not buy bullshit. They smell it, literally. You know, and I think in, in public arenas, you just have to be brave enough to to talk truthfully and talk openly and honestly. Because you know, at the end of the day, it, it just has a knock on effect, doesn't it? You know, if I'm talking to you truthfully about something, it's probably going to more likely get you to then open up about something. And and I, hopefully, you know, this is a great thing about your podcast. These conversations are really important because we're talking about it. Yeah. It's just a normal conversation. It's no big deal. And hopefully this encourages other people to talk about it and to realize it's not a bad thing. It's not a wrong thing. But actually, where it does become a travesty is that if you're directed by your imposter syndrome and it influences how you live your life and the decisions you make, that's, in my view, where it becomes a travesty.
0: Yeah. And then how... I mean, you know, how, how do you... Um help yourself right. as it, you
1: say you yeah i mean i think some of the things we've talked about so far about yeah. fixing up yet and seeing it for what it is but it's also being mindful as well is that when that part of you comes out i mean i've heard people call it different things some people say think of it like a saboteur yeah or in a biased narrative that you have. So it's about almost like when it raises its ugly head and it comes out, you hear that critical voice, you're not good enough, you're rubbish, you can't do it, whatever the context might be. It's about being able to see it for what it is, which is just an unhealthy pattern that's been learned. and that You don't necessarily need to engage with it. You don't need to listen to it. But what you can do is you can almost be open to it, think, all right, you're here. This is a vulnerable part of me that's come up. And what I'm going to do is, I'm just going to sit down with it and I'm not going to attack it or push it away, but I'm going to try and understand it more hmm. and lean into it a bit more and almost kind of start to ally with it and get to know it a bit better. Because then, what you do is you take the sting out of it, you take the yeah. power out of it. That's the thing, it's like everything in life. The minute you, it's like a bully, you know, when you were at school, I was really badly bullied as a kid, yeah, me too. And the minute you face up to a bully, or even in adult life, when you face up to people who are bullies, um, the minute you make that stand and think, right, enough. I don't need to listen to this. I'm not going to deal with this here. Something fundamentally changes.
0: Well, yeah, it flips in your brain, doesn't it? And even, I mean, I was, when I had my my last business, I had a big PR agency and my business partner was a bully and I never recognized it. And he was one of the, he was one of the people that, honestly, Owen, really instilled a huge amount yeah. of um, imposter syndrome in me by, by actually verbally saying to me, are you good enough? Do you think you're actually yeah. up for this job? And yeah. I remember, you know, it took me 15 years of him being my business partner to have one day when I just basically fought back at the bully. Wow. And it was, I mean, when I say it was a, a actually very emotional, it was, I mean, it was pretty dramatic. It was like breaking up with a wife or yeah. husband. Um, it changed my life and it was, and, and it, it made me who I am today. And And I, the uh, the biggest regret I have is I didn't see it at the beginning of the 15 years. And I didn't say goodbye after five years rather than wait another 10. But that feeling of actually doing it, like you say, with the bully and actually facing it. Oh, the narrative changed immediately.
1: Completely. And what what you probably did, Nick, and this is the thing that often people don't realize, is that when people are bullying or they're behaving badly towards you or they're acting out, normally what they're doing, it's their own stuff. It's got nothing to do with you. Yeah, I think often when you face up to that sort of stuff, then people's behaviour does change because, in some ways, you shine a light on it. Yeah, and you know, you know, as human beings, the one thing that can happen a lot is where, in psychology, we talk about a concept called countertransference, and um, and that's for stuff that that you know it's your own stuff, but it can be thrown onto somebody else. It's like regurgitating negative, toxic stuff onto other people, and this happens yeah. all the time in life. Where when you're up against people like that, that this stuff has been literally splurged all over you but it's not your stuff yeah um, and it's about having the courage sometimes to to stop and say actually you know this doesn't belong with me and it's like with your imposter syndrome you know you know if you've come from a background you know we both talked about bullying and you know mm. coming out and how difficult that can be and stuff but you know if you've come from a, a culture and a belief system that's telling you that you're not good enough mm. or that you're less than or whatever well, it's kind of like, eventually, if you've heard that long enough, you can almost start to believe it as a truth.
0: Well, yeah, definitely.
1: Then when you do something good in your life or something powerful happens in your life, then this kind of fraudster syndrome comes out. It's almost yeah. like, well, well, this is not you. I mean, I, I still have to manage. And you know, um, I had a teacher once in my primary school tell me I was stupid. Mm. Um, I think I was about nine or something at the time. And, yeah, she said I was stupid because the, the, the context was I was frightened of reading in the class because the kids were giving me a hard time. So when I would have to read in class, um, I would get nervous about doing it because I was worried the kids were going to bully me. Um, She had that as stupid. So for about a year or two, this particular teacher was telling my parents, so I, you know, I had, you know reading needs and I wasn't that bright and I wasn't that intelligent and it's really really interesting as a middle-aged bloke now that I can sometimes still hear that voice in my head yeah. it's funny when my first book came out
0: the I- under your belt and you still yeah. feel that it's crazy it?
1: I can remember the date when my book came out and the first book and I got the bestseller and stuff I think oh my god I once had a teacher who told me I was stupid and the fact I was even thinking about it was almost like my imposter syndrome trying to get to get through again but I suppose the thing is, you know, I've really learned to recognize it and manage it and not be driven by it. And I think that's a key thing for me, that when it does raise its ugly head or it does come up, I've got much more skill at seeing it for what it is and not taking it as
0: factual or that it's me. Here's my question to you about just because I'm really interested in it. You know, we're talking about imposter syndrome. Now, I'm, I I think look at these influencers on Instagram, etc., who basically live their life almost as imposters, but they, you know, they, they talk about authenticity, but lots of it isn't, you know, it's the perfect picture, the perfect look, the Mm. great shape, the great, um, you know, imagery. Do you think we've got, we're going to have like a huge generation of people who've got this sort of almost social media imposter syndrome?
1: I mean, I think the danger is that if people start to, and I think a lot of this goes on, if people compare their lives to what they see on social media, Mm -hmm. and they believe what they see is truth and that's where we run into problems because you and I both know that you know regardless of what you see in social media and how glossy and lovely and spectacular it looks we know that often that's not the real story you know there'll be struggle there'll be suffering there'll be hardship there'll be conflict and on in their lives and I think particularly if I'm working with younger people or I'm doing talks and stuff the one thing, you know, I talk about in this latest book, I talk about comparing is a thief of joy. And I believe that to be true, that often what you see is a flash snapshot image of someone's life. You're not seeing their life. And I kind of think I'm really hopeful. That's always part of what I do on Instagram. I, only, I mean, I only did social, I wasn't near social media until about a year and a half ago. But I think the more people start to, to tell truthful stories on social media, the more people start to talk about more honest, real issues. then hopefully that culture will shift. Whereas I think at the moment we do get a lot of stuff that it's like the perfect body, the perfect life, the perfect home, how much freedom, how much success people have. And, you know, it, look, we, you know, it doesn't make people happier. We know that.
0: Well, no. And I think, you know, I mean, going to the extreme, but I don't know if you've been watching or reading about Johnny Depp's uh, I saw life. bits
1: of it today and over the last yeah, couple of you days. Then,
0: you think someone's amazing life and then yeah. you see actually what this is of a man, you know, who is obviously had lots of issues and stuff, but you're like, that's not the life that you thought that superstar was leading, you know?
1: And, and it, it never is. I mean, I suppose that's the one privilege of being a therapist is, that, you know, you see all of life and you hear all of life. And the one yeah. thing you learn very, very quickly is that no one's life is ever as it seems, and i suppose the one premise i always try to work on in my own life and in my personal life really is even if somebody's been difficult to me or they're acting out or they're not being particularly nice i just assume that they're suffering at some level yeah because i just think it makes it easier to manage them because rather than see them as a difficult person or toxic or they're this or they're that i just kind of think actually they're suffering and they're behaving this way for a reason and for me it just makes it much more manageable
0: Definitely. And then do you like, obviously for you as a therapist, it must be very hard because you're listening to other people and what they're going through. Do you find sometimes when you go home depleted or are you quite, Do how? what does it make you feel? Do you feel empowered or do you feel quite like drained? I
1: I, I love my work. I mean, I really, really do. I mean, I think it's one of the most privileged positions to be in when you kind of get the, yeah, you get a privilege of being with somebody in their life and working through their story with them. And helping them come out the other end, really, and live hopefully a fuller life. So for me, I you go through different stages in therapy when you're with people. So the beginning can be quite tricky because people are bringing up all the difficult stuff. Mm -hmm. And then there's that kind of point of liberation where you're watching people getting to understand themselves much more. So it's kind of like watching child wake up because suddenly they're understanding their life how they are why they behave the way they do and then you move on to this next stage where suddenly they start to reclaim freedom and hope and start talking about the future in a different way and you just watch them literally get stronger in front of you and i think there's something quite powerful in that in therapy you always have people no matter who you're working with you have people at different stages in therapy Mm -hmm. um so you're always kind of you might have a really difficult session but then you might have a session that feels really uplifting and liberating so it's kind of always balanced and of course we have our own supervision and we we have our own therapy so there's always somewhere to go That's you true. know so yeah. that it doesn't feel overwhelming but you know look like every job of course it has moments when it's difficult and sometimes you're hearing some of the worst things that can happen in life yeah. so you would be subhuman not to have the odd moment of feeling sad or if somebody's had a horrific loss or dealing with something terrible in their life, of course you're human and you absorb some of that. But I suppose it's about we learn the skills of how we process that, how we manage that. And ultimately, you know, this work is about hope really. And I think when you're you're trying to instill hope in people's lives, then it's important for me to try and live that.
0: Do you think that, obviously, you know, lockdown has been very difficult for, I think, everybody. And I Mm. always say that all my friends are like, oh, you look like you're having the best time and you're like, you've been great, you've been so productive. And you're like, yeah. well, that's that's what you see on Instagram. It's not what yeah. you see yeah. at home. And yeah. I am sure, um, have you had a lot of people that have wanted you to just talk to them just because of what they're going through? Because I think yeah. the emotions that we felt, I, I, I mean, as I said to you when you were t- and I were talking before we got on the phone on this was, you know, I felt proper grief. And yeah. the other yeah. thing I felt was, utter confusion i can't i couldn't get through my head that the whole world was locking down not just yeah. that, you know london yeah. yeah everywhere and then i went through this stage of going of i i did it a lot i had dreamed about my dad who passed away two years ago and then yeah. i got so happy that he wasn't alive because i was like he yeah. wouldn't survive this and how could i have dealt with it you know have you had a lot of people in that same similar boat
1: absolutely i mean i think look you know it, it, you know, this is a global pandemic. You know, I, I walk around even now and, so, you know, you see people and it still feels a bit post-apocalyptic, doesn't it? Yeah. When you just watch people with masks on and mm. queuing to get into supermarkets and stuff. It, it, it's a bit surreal. And I think like any traumatic event in life, and let's be honest, it's has been a traumatic event, you know. Yeah. Many people have died. Many people have suffered. Industries have collapsed. People are losing their jobs. Economically, people are struggling. I mean, this is hugely traumatic for lots of people. And people have had to adjust from a life of having freedom, flexibility, choice, traveling where they want, doing what they want a lot of the time, to suddenly all of that's taken away rapidly and very, very quickly. So it would be, I think, it would be abnormal not to have struggled at some level. Mm. Um, I, I don't think it would be possible to have got through all of this completely unscathed or coping well the entire time. I think everyone's had moments when, when they, you know, moments like what you've described, Nick, there um or moments of just anxiety or what's going to happen next or what does this mean because you know if you look at a textbook definition of anxiety it's an intolerance of uncertainty yeah and the one thing we've had in abundance is uncertainty so
0: yeah and 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 the weird, the strangest thing is or the great thing about this in a weird way is that every single person has gone through it together it's not like it's it's targeted in individual groups. It's it's all of us, and I think, as you say, like we're collectively feeling anxious, aren't we? Because because well, I mean, it's
1: crazy. Well, you know, uh, myself and my other half got it, so we we actually tested positive for it. Um, um you know, and
0: that must make you anxious, and you must. So
1: Yeah, so I, you know, at the time I didn't know I had it. It was only later it was clear that I had had it. But that was a really interesting thing because when I had symptoms of it, which lasted for about a week, it was the time the prime minister was going into hospital and stuff. And um, I normally don't get too worried about health and stuff like that. But I can remember at that time I was feeling really poorly. Um, And then, you know, you were seeing all of these news stories coming on every day and I thought to myself, it would be impossible not to be anxious at the moment. Yeah. You know, it, it's just almost, you know, it's an impossible state to get to. We think, well, oh, there there has to be some degree of worry. So I think, you know, it's um it's been a surreal period. If someone had said to you at the beginning of January, this is what's coming next, you would have thought they were taking the piss or having a joke, wouldn't you?
0: Well definitely. I mean, we were all there with our big twenty twenty, it's gonna be my <laughs> my decade. And then all of us are going, No. I mean, honestly, I had my birthday in lockdown and I, honestly, Owen, I'm actually going to take that birthday away, that didn't happen. I'm going to be a year younger.
1: Yeah, 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 just to raise raise that birthday, it didn't happen. Exactly,
0: (laughs) I don't think we need to do, I think, yeah, and I think, you know, what you said is right, but I think for me, and this isn't the way I think about the world, I'm I'm just so worried about this aftermath because I really, you know, you you watch us, especially the England, and you see us still grieving heavily about things like World War II, and we do all that, and we have the VEA, and then you look at things like Grenfell, and then you look at 7-7, and you look at the way that we have such a a deep pride and also a deep sadness for tragedy, and then you look at the the actual impact of this, Mm. and I don't think any person has actually even thought of grieving yet over
1: what's happening it's not it's not there i mean look in in my world if you're treating people you know when we talk about there's two types of trauma i think you know you've got your post traumatic stress disorder which is very acute trauma and there'll be symptoms that come with that and then you've got what we would talk about small t traumas which is a traumatic event um, and it still creates difficulties and challenges for people and i think you know during the event itself Um, people tend to just get on with it and function and get by. And it's never really at the time where you see the, the, the challenges and the problems. It's normally six to eight weeks later when things start to emerge. Now, I think the thing is at the moment is that this is continually ongoing. Yeah, we we come out at different stages and you kind of think, well, that gives us a bit of breathing space to work out what happened and where we've been. But I think the fact that this just keeps moving and every day you get a a new story or a new development. um, There isn't really much time to process any of it because, you know, we're equally aware that things could change again.
0: Yeah. um,
1: And we're dealing with other stuff. And I think it really is about, as I said at the beginning there, it's about, you know, how do we get comfortable with uncertainty because we are in uncertain times and likely to be for a while. And actually, you know, this is going to sound really, really weird, but there is real freedom that comes with the kind of skill of living with uncertainty because nothing is guaranteed in life. No. And maybe this period does teach us about valuing what we have, how we live more fully, how we appreciate. I mean, I, I said we went away at the weekend and you know, I, I literally felt like we savoured every second of it because yeah. I thought, I'm like, Oh my god, we've got away and we can go for a meal and you know, we're taking a nice walk with a dog and we're somewhere different. And I literally I didn't I didn't kind of miss a second of the experience. No and and that's actually a good thing because normally I'd go away for a weekend and maybe just take it take it for granted.
0: No, I agree with you. And I think so many things we take for granted. I remember even when, you know, having that hour of exercise or hour to walk the dog, you suddenly go, okay, I'm actually going to concentrate all the way through this hour of recreation. Yeah, and yeah exactly. I think it's, it's yeah, it's, it's everything
1: in life, Nick, isn't it? It's kind of what you take away from it, you know. I, you know, I, you know, I bang on a lot about hope, but I do talk about it a lot because I believe in it. And, you know, I did a hope campaign there a few months ago with a YouTube star, Casper Lee, and we did a bit um, of work with the Princess Trust. And one of the things around that was when I was talking about hope, I was saying it's when you could be hopeful, it doesn't mean that you're being fluffy or fairy dust about life, but when you can trust that whatever happens, will get through, mm. there will be an outcome, you know, and eventually this will become something that we look back on. I think when you can have a hopeful perspective, what we know is that that actually changes the chemistry of the brain. So you release more endorphins, more encephalins, and that impacts on how your anxiety is you know it impacts in your mood so there's real value in thinking do you know something this is not ideal i'd prefer it wasn't happening but opting into thinking you know something i'm going to be hopeful about this i'm going to trust that we'll get through i'm going to trust that we'll manage and i'm going to trust it you know kind of bit by bit step by step that's all that has to be managed and i think suddenly certainly that's been my approach and i think it makes it more manageable rather than trying to, to take it all on. What's going to happen next? Where are we going to be in two years? What's going to happen to my business? What's going to happen to my career? It, just, it feels unmanageable then because it's monstrously big.
0: Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think those sort of nuggets are much more beneficial to you personally and actually to yeah. the people around you because... Yeah. They need to, you know, they need to see that you're not storming and not getting stressed out about stuff. But also, if they look at it like nuggets, I do. I mean, I'm one of those people that I can preach everything to, to people, but I sometimes don't do it myself. But with my husband, I'm very much like, let's compartmentalize all this, mm. you know. And if it, and I'm like, if it means we're not flying this year, we're not going on holiday. We've been on holidays for years, so we're yeah. fine. We've seen the sea. Some people haven't, and I look at it like that. I'm like, let's yeah. just actually compartmentalise and put that into perspective. It's
1: a great approach, isn't it? And I suppose, you know, you and I have been talking about imposter syndrome and, you know, these kind of self, this self-attacking self that goes on in our own yeah. lives, in our own minds. And maybe maybe periods like this here maybe give us an opportunity to step back from it all and say, do you know something, I'm not going to do that to myself anymore. You know, I, I've got a life here. I've got an opportunity. Um, I'm going to live that as fully as I can. And, you know, rather than be dictated to by an uh, you know an imposter that is really just a vulnerable part of you you can just shape that and turn that all around to be something very different.
0: Yeah and make it positive which exactly. you've done just talking to you has made me feel more positive. Oh, well, thank <laughs> you, it's been lovely I really enjoy talking no, to it's you. It's been brilliant. Thank listen, you know the thing is that you know the the reason I wanted to talk to you is first of all I love you. I think you're amazing. Oh thank you book. Nick Likewise. And I think what's great about your books is that you know I've been. I'm one of those people that's very cynical about self help or help Mm. in any respect. Because I've always done it myself. But when I read Ten to Zen, I I actually got it for the first time. I really understood that there are simple things that I could do in my life that just ground me and change it. And you didn't do, and you don't do it in a in a kind of preachy way. You just go, well, there. These are the tools. Here's your kit and. I think that's a really important thing. So thank you so much for doing Imposter Syndrome. It's been amazing. Thank you, Nick. Um, My pleasure. It's great. And I, th- and, you know, I think it's going to be, I'd love you to listen to the other people because I think you're going to hear so much. There's there's some great people just talking about their experiences. And as you say, when you're in the public eye, it's kind of almost twofold because you're playing this game. But just what, just before I wrap this up, we had this, um, who's coming on quite soon, Susie Kennedy, who plays Marilyn Monroe. and uh, She's a Marilyn Monroe impersonator, Owen. But what was yeah. interesting for her is that she said she was kind of like a quadruple because she was playing, she was a Marilyn Monroe impersonator. Mm. She's the actress, but she's like Marilyn Monroe was also an impersonator because she was Norma yeah. Dean. Yes. So it's like yeah. a quadruple whammy. I know. And you know, maybe maybe it's a brilliant way to finish it. You know,
1: maybe maybe the thing for all of us, the only thing that we have to do really is show up in our life as we are. Yes. You know? And that it's really no more complicated than that we, we just make things so difficult for ourselves. We make our lives so much more complicated than they need to be. The only thing we do is just show up as we are. And if that's not good enough, well then it doesn't matter because all you can deliver in life is yourself. And I think the older I get, I realize that all I can deliver is me. And if that's enough, brilliant. And if it's not enough, well then I can't change that. And, you know, I think they're, they're within us again. It's, Key to some freedom and a happier
0: life. Well, no, I totally agree with you. And as you say, freedom and a happier life is what we all want. And I think listening to you, you've given me really good food for thought. So thank you for being part of Imposter Syndrome. And thank
1: you for having me. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, and always lovely to talk to you. Nick.
0: That's our show for today. I hope you liked it and found it both entertaining and enlightening. If you did, please subscribe on your favourite podcast platform. And while you're there, give us a five-star review just to make us feel we deserve it. Follow us on Pod People UK, at Nick Ead and at Owen Kane 10. Imposter Syndrome was presented by me, Nick Eed, and produced by Mike Hansen for Pod People Productions, the music by Mike as well. We'll be back in your feed next Thursday. See you then.